0: And welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I am excited that you are here today. If you're a pre-med and you haven't checked out MAPT yet, please do so at mapped.com. That's M-A-P-P-D dot com. You can sign up for a free two-week trial today. Mapped is a new platform that I co-founded a couple months ago, and we have well over 2,000 students using MAPT day in and day out to help track their progress to medical school. As we build, as we continue to build map and add more features, we'll be able to give you the feedback and guidance and navigation to help you navigate your journey to medical school. Every detail that you enter into mapped will be able to give you feedback and let you know what your next steps should be. Go check out mapped.com. Again, sign up for a free two-week trial, mapped.com. That's mappd.com. Our guest today is Dr. Kimberly Lumpkins, a pediatric surgeon who specializes in urology. A little bit different than a pediatric urologist who we've had as a guest previously. Similar endpoint, but different journey. And Dr. Lumpkins is going to talk about her journey to pediatric surgery, what enthralled her with urology, and much more. We started the conversation with how Dr. Lumpkins first became interested in pediatric surgery.
1: So it was actually very, very late. So many people uh, think they figure out early on what they wanted to do, and I really didn't. So I had gone into general surgery And thought I wanted to be a trauma surgeon, like pretty much all medical students do when they go into general surgery, because it's amazing. It's exciting. It's fast paced and you see it on television. Uh, And then I did trauma surgery and it really wasn't for me. And I couldn't really find anything else that seemed to fit me properly. So I actually was going to do private practice general surgery because it was the only way I could find that I could do a lot of different kind of cases would be to do adult general surgery somewhere in a rural area where, you know, I'd be the main person. And it wasn't until actually my sixth year of residency that I came back to pediatric surgery and realized that, oh, wait, if I wanted to do as many different kinds of cases as possible, this is the field to do it in. And so many different kinds of patients, which is just an amazing experience every day.
0: What was it about trauma surgery that, that put you off to it?
1: I I had two problems with trauma surgery and I think this is a little bit different. Every different trauma center has our own way of managing things, but uh, I found the hours very, very brutal of being up because all, you know, great trauma usually happens at night. So lots and lots and lots of being awake most of the night. And it just made me feel physically not well. Uh, and then There's a signal to noise ratio issue for trauma for me where you spent a whole lot of time doing things that weren't surgery. And I I actually really wanted to do a lot of surgery. So those two things together made it feel like something that just wasn't going to suit my personality well.
0: Yeah. What do you think it is trait wise that that makes someone be a, a good pediatric surgeon?
1: You have to have a lot of curiosity, and you have to have a lot of problem solving. Every baby with congenital birth defects is a different puzzle, and they didn't all read the same textbook, <laughs> so you can't apply the same thing to each child. You really have to think about each problem, and then there's the whole range of developmental ages and parental styles that mean you have to have soft skills on a, on a lot of different levels that just makes every day different. I mean, every day is legitimately different than the day before
0: no and and talk about your uh, your interest in urology and and pediatric urology. So I, I had a pediatric urologist on recently in another episode. but but your journey is a little bit different. Talk about the the path that you took to get to where you are,
1: yeah. so if you actually look at the two volume Bible of pediatric surgery, a third of it is pediatric urology. So, uh, one of the things that I think is fascinating is how different places in the world train. So in the United States, uh, pediatric urology is a fellowship of adult urology. So you do your adult urology residency and then train in pediatric urology. And mm-hmm. if you want to be a pediatric surgeon, you do your adult general surgery and then you train in pediatric surgery. But that's actually not true pretty much everywhere else in the world. Almost everywhere else in the world, The two are the same training pathway until the very end, and many people don't diverge. So my boss here actually is from New Zealand, and so he practices in both and was trained in both. And so I came to be his partner, and I actually went to England and did an additional pediatric urology fellowship uh, to learn more about urology and practice in it. So it is a very unusual pathway. And it was a, a great pathway for a lot of different reasons. I mean, seeing how other countries practice medicine is an incredibly eye-opening experience, even a country that seems so similar to us as the UK.
0: So if if someone was in a general surgery path, residency in the States, can they not go on and become a... A, a pediatric urologist a- unless they did something like you and and go somewhere else?
1: Not in the traditional way, although yeah. because pediatric urology is still considered to some extent a subset of general surgery, of pediatric surgery. You will find pediatric surgeons in some areas who do a fair bit of pediatric urology still.
0: Interesting. Do you see any differences in the way that a general surgeon trained pediatric surgeon or pediatric urologist versus a urology trained pediatric urologist, do you see a difference in how they practice? I
1: mean, I think there is one. I mean, looking, looking worldwide, sort of in my experience of my colleagues abroad, I think people that trained up in scenarios where they trained in pediatric general surgery first and urology second sort of take that bias forward and perhaps do less endourology than a, an adult urology-trained person going into pediatrics. urology. So I think there's pluses and minuses to both ways. You know, having, having seen how it's done in the rest of the world, I think people end up just as competent, but perhaps with different areas of focus than, than many folks here in the States.
0: Yeah. Talk about some of the biggest myths or misconceptions around pediatric surgery or pediatric urology.
1: Uh, So I would say uh, one thing is that this is going to sound really funny and a bit odd, but uh, I refused to consider pediatric surgery for many years, even though I loved the variety of operations, because I wasn't really a kid person. I didn't want children. I didn't really know what to do with children. Uh, and it wasn't until I sort of came back to the field as a senior resident and had some conversations with mentors to realize that like, not everybody in pediatric surgery wants to have a billion children and, you know, loves toddlers. Some people really enjoy operating and making patients feel better and that that's okay too.
0: Yeah. What do you think, uh, on a, on a day-to-day basis, if you could say that, what do you think your, your day looks like or, or a week? What does that look like for you?
1: Every day is a little bit different. So pediatric surgery really combines both outpatient practice and emergencies. So in a typical week, I'll have maybe a day to two days scheduled in the operating room and a day to two days scheduled in clinic, and then some additional time in there to work on academic projects or education. But then every few weeks, I'm on call. And that call uh, really throws a whole lot of chaos into the mix because it really depends what's going on as to, to what emergencies I have to handle sort of interleaved in those other activities.
0: Yeah. From a pediatric surgeon standpoint, what are you doing day in and day out? I, I know I talk to a lot of specialists in this podcast and they all, they all say you have to be okay with the bread and butter. What What is your bread and butter?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment 100%. Uh, so people come into pediatric surgery to do tracheoesophageal fistulas and imperforate anuses and all sorts of big wacky surgeries. But 95% of the time I'm doing inguinal hernias, umbilical hernias, circumcision revisions, orchiopexies for undescended testicles. Like that's kind of the things And in an emergency setting, appendicitis, lots and lots and lots and lots of appendicitis um, and some uh, emergencies for newborns. So bowel perforations and things like that. And that's really what you're going to spend most of your time doing, not necessarily those big exotic cases.
0: Yeah. What are some of the exotic cases that, that may intrigue some students?
1: So, you know, I mentioned earlier about congenital birth defects and and there are a number that a pediatric surgeon handles. So some of the kind of ones that really get people's attention are abdominal wall defects. So babies that are born with their intestines on the outside A tracheoesophageal fistula, so babies where they can't eat because the esophagus is not connected from top to bottom, and instead it connects into the trachea, and that needs to be fixed quite urgently. And There's really a a lot of different problems, holes in the diaphragm, and there are many, many different things that can require a surgeon very soon after birth.
0: Yeah. How many of your patients are coming to you already diagnosed versus you actually needing to, to be the Sherlock Holmes and figuring it out?
1: I'd some of both. So a lot of the outpatient work that we do, you know, when a patient comes into me and says, I have an inguinal hernia, they're usually right. Their pediatrician has usually made that diagnosis. Uh, And so I kind of evaluate it and and work through the process of fixing it. Uh, But many newborns and many of the emergency patients, there's a lot of detective work that goes
0: in. Yeah. When, when you're a surgeon or someone looking at a surgeon, especially from a student standpoint, thinking about surgery, a lot of their allure is in the operating room and go, well, I'm going to be operating 24-7, 365. For you as a pediatric surgeon, a pediatric urologist, what percentage of your time do you think is actually spent in an operating room?
1: Um, I would say probably 20 to 30%. I think people probably underestimate the number of patients you need to see to fill that operating time. So you will be seeing lots and lots and lots and lots of outpatients to, to fill up the scheduled time that you have.
0: Yeah, What, what percentage of patients do you think you actually take back and, and, and do a, an operation on, Let's do a procedure so
1: where my urology side of my practice sort of skews the numbers a little bit so urology uh, as in mean, the outpatient urology to to operative case ratio is actually not so high so i probably will see i don't know maybe 8 to 10 for a case sometimes as many as that whereas my pediatric straight pediatric general surgery colleagues it's typically they see a, a bit fewer to book a case because you know again mostly people are coming in with lumps or bumps or hernia's or something that is, is most likely going to translate directly into an operation.
0: Yeah. For someone who is looking at their future work life balance and, and thinking about call and what that looks like, what what does call look like for you in, in terms of volume and do you ha are, are there very specific emergencies where you have to come in for anything?
1: I mean, the call depends a fair bit on the kind of practice that you join. Um, Pete's surgery is definitely fairly intense for call if you're covering hospitals, which you almost certainly will be. Uh, and you do have to come in a fair amount. So intestinal perforations and things like that in babies, they don't wait till the morning. So I would say I'm on call. I have five partners who take calls. So I'm on call on average one in five, although we actually do it by week. So I'm on call for a week um, and then off for four. Uh, And I will come in, I would say, you know, maybe a a quarter to a third of the time in the middle of the night. So it can get pretty tiring depending on on how it's all strung together.
0: Yeah. When... When you look at what you're doing and and you look at call and the volume of cases and and outpatient stuff that you have to do, do you feel like you have enough time with your specialty and enough time for life outside of the hospital?
1: I, I think I do. I think it's always for any surgeon and for anyone in an intense specialty, I think you have to learn to some extent to carve that time out for yourself. Um, and that can be a difficult lesson, particularly for a specialty like ours, which is very difficult to get into. It's, it's the most competitive general surgery match, which means that a lot of very type A, very driven people have been working very hard to get where they're at. Uh, and to realize that sometimes you need to step back and the next paper or the next committee meeting can take a back seat to what you need to do for your own work-life balance. It can be a little bit, I think, of a difficult lesson for people to learn, but it is doable. It is doable.
0: You talked about it a little bit, the, the training path to get to where you are, but can you talk about it generally, again, the, the number of years that it takes and the, the, the general paths that students can take to get to where you're at?
1: Yeah, so pediatric surgery is a subspecialty of general surgery. So you do have to complete a general surgery residency first. Um, general surgery residencies come in two flavors. They come in a flavor of seven years, which has two years of research in the middle of it, or five years that doesn't. And for pediatric surgery, because it's a very competitive match process, I would say that 99 plus percent of the people that are applying in it will have gone through the seven-year program. So seven years of general surgery residency, you complete your board. So I'm a fully boarded adult general surgeon, um, which, you know, it makes sense. I see up to 18. 18 is fully full adult. Uh, And then you do two years of pediatric surgery fellowship on top of that. So it is a long training pathway to, to get to the end.
0: Yeah. How competitive is it to, to get to where you're at?
1: Pete Surgery Fellowship is the most competitive of the general surgery matches. Um, so there's about, depends on the year. There's about 45 spots a year in the country. Uh, and there's usually somewhere around 70 to 90 applicants. Um, and a lot more people would apply, but are kind of uh, warned off because the, The bar to success is pretty high. You have to be very academically prolific um, to be competitive and you need to have good in-service scores. So some people are deterred from even applying. So I would say that the the real competitiveness is probably even higher than that. So it is definitely a challenge.
0: Yeah. What should students be doing to, to make themselves competitive?
1: So, I mean, the best things I can tell you, number one as a student is don't stress out too much about the pediatric surgery match because you got a bunch of steps between you and and then. But the best thing you can do overall is the same whether you're applying for residency or you're applying for pediatric surgery match, which is read avidly. Read about everything. Whatever system of notes you take for yourself, however that looks for you, you need to keep those notes and keep reviewing them. Um, You will have to be a great test performer to to do well, honestly. Unfortunately, it's quite true. So the better practice you get now and the more you work at it for your in-services, the better you're going to be. So just learn, 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 and, and that will set you in the best stead.
0: Yeah. For the osteopathic students listening to this, what can they potentially do to overcome any sort of negative bias?
1: I mean, the best thing to do in general is going to be to get to the highest quality general surgery residency that you can. And again, it it really is comes down a lot to performance and numbers. So still on your exams, do the best that you possibly can to try to get that spot. I think where you come from in residency is probably going to be more important than the, the degree that you have.
0: Yeah. How, how much ability is there to further subspecialize once you get to your point?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and it's actually a matter of great debate in our community right now. Um, And the two halves of that debate: one side is that this is such a a, a, there's so many subspecialties of pediatric surgery that that people really should subspecialize. You'll see people that specialize in oncology surgery for children, or fetal surgery, or um, colorectal surgery, because there's a lot of colorectal anomalies. Um, and they do predominantly that. So sometimes they do a formal fellowship to follow, or sometimes they just, you know, sort of set up practice and, and create a focus in that area. The other side of that is people uh, who are more generalists who went into pediatric surgery for generalism, and also in more rural or smaller communities, they can't. Su- you can't support uh, a, a pediatric subspecialist ecosystem in a small community. There just isn't enough. People. So you can do both, honestly, now. So, bigger centers, Cincinnati Children's, uh, Boston Children's, places like that where they are very large will tend to have subspecialists. Smaller places will tend not to, uh, but it's kind of an active topic of discussion right now in the sort of projecting the future of pediatric surgery.
0: Yeah. What do you wish you knew before going into pediatric surgery?
1: Um, (laughs) this is probably not what I was supposed to say. Uh, I wish I had appreciated just how long I would be training. Um, I was 20 when I went to medical school, so I was pretty young. Uh, And then I went and did 10 years of residency and fellowship between the the nine for pediatric surgery and the additional year. Um, That's a really long time. It's a really long time in which People are moving about and their lives are moving forward and you're sort of like a perpetual trainee. Uh, And that's something I didn't really fully appreciate till after I was done. I mean, looking back, I wouldn't do a thing differently. I love my job and I can't imagine doing anything different than what I do. But there is a very real opportunity cost to the amount of time that you spend uh, in training, sort of waiting to become an adult.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not a, a, a super typical question, but I, I love asking women this question, if it's okay, is it, a lot of women out there want to go into surgery, but are turned off from other people saying, well, don't you want a family? Don't you want a life? The, the operating room is no place for a woman. Talk about the, the struggles, if, if any, that you've had to overcome as a female in a male-dominated world.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes we're our own worst enemies with that because that will often come from other women. Yep. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I've I've faced it. Um, I, the most classic example is when I was applying for residency. I, I went into interview with the chief of cardiothoracic surgery at one program, and I went in to shake his hand, and he looked at me and he said, "What are you doing here? Women don't belong in surgery." Um, uh, it wasn't that long ago. We weren't in the ice age then. Like this was a pretty <laughs> pretty recent event, uh, which was pretty shocking uh, in the face of it. Um, What I would say is there's absolutely no reason you can't have a family and be a surgeon. I am surrounded by incredible women surgeons with families at all stages, from babies in medical school, babies before medical school, during residency, during fellowship, as attendings. Uh, Am I going to tell you it's all sunshine and rainbows and it's going to be easy? No, I'm not going to tell you that. But there are many, many women who make it work, and you can too. And I don't think that's a reason to not be a surgeon if you love surgery.
0: Yeah, good. I like it. Um, What do you love the most about being a pediatric surgeon? Uh,
1: I love love the, the variety and the challenge of each patient and the joy that you get from helping someone for their whole life. I mean, we're not just talking about a temporary improvement in someone's quality of life. Sometimes when you do these cases, you you really are changing their future. And so I think a great example of this is I was in clinic a week, couple weeks back and I went to see this family and mom tells me, oh, you know, she saw you walking down the hallway while we were in the waiting room and she started bouncing up and down. And I, I asked her why she was so excited and she said, Mom, that's the woman who changed my life, and you can't beat that. I mean, you can't beat that for for satisfaction that you did something that makes a difference. This job, I think, cannot possibly be beaten.
0: No. Yeah. What do you like the least?
1: Um, the call. <laughs> <laughs> the, the call gets the call gets old. If you're if you're having a really really bad run, um, it can get very very exhausting. Um, and, and that's just a part of the deal, um, but it does get, and it gets harder physically. I, I remember being in my mid-20s and, you know, my more senior surgeons attendings would not be taking call or would be very vocal about how miserable it was. And I was kind of shrug my shoulders and wonder what was wrong with them. And at 40, I'm like, okay, um, it takes me a lot more time to recover from a full overnight call than it did when I was 24. Like, there's no doubt about that. It definitely gets harder.
0: What do you do to take care of yourself during those times?
1: Um, Well, I'm blessed with an incredible partner, and he basically cooks all the food and shoves it at me and tells me to take sleep, which is great. (laughs) Uh, I'm also kind to myself, so uh, I really admire people who have iron determination to run marathons and to eat only healthy food. But you know what? After midnight, everybody gets a cupcake. (laughs) That's That's how it goes, and I don't feel bad about that. Um, and those little things kind of help you, help you get through it and recognizing that I I do need the sleep after call. You know, when I was 26, I could keep pushing through and, you know, go have dinner with a friend. No, I need a nap now. And that's, it's just how it's got to be.
0: Yeah. It is 8am. Even if you slept, is that still considered after midnight and still okay for a cupcake?
1: If I come in in the middle of the (laughs) night. At any point when I wasn't supposed to, it's okay for coming Okay, of All
0: right, I like that definition. <laughs> yep. What what major changes potentially do you see coming to the field of pediatric surgery that someone interested should be aware of?
1: I think the major one touches on what we already discussed, which is what is going to be the future of hyper specialization. Um, you know, if the whole field moves towards hyper specialization, I think things are going to change some um, because. One is, I don't think it's practical to expect people to do 10 and 11 years of training. I mean, I, I did it. I don't re- necessarily recommend it. So, would the training have to change in some other way? Um, and it would change the, the flavor. So many people are in pediatric surgery because they like the vast variety of cases. And if that's no longer going to be true, I think that is going to change the appeal of pediatric surgery. I don't think a true pediatric general surgeon is ever going to disappear because, like I said, there's only so many babies with some of these complex congenital anomalies and you can't support everybody being a subspecialist. There just isn't, there isn't room for that. But I do think that that's, there's going to be a sea change in how we look at this over the next few years.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned it a little bit earlier. I want to bring it up again. The, the kind of parental differences, how have you found the best way to deal with parents? Uh, a lot of people go into pediatric subspecialties because they love kids and they, they they don't actually think about the parents being patients as well. The
1: parents are 100% your patient and sometimes they're more your patient than anybody else. Um, I think you have to approach it with an open mind. And I would say that I, I still feel like every day I learn about parents and I learn about different ways of living. And I say that because I think we're all mired in the biases of how we grew up. And so when you see parents that seem to behave in a very different way from the way you would expect parents to behave, it can be easy to judge even unconsciously. Um, You have to really appreciate that these people's lived experiences can be very different than yours. And you have to be able to open up to that reality. So, you know, one of the things that, that became very clear to me early on as an attending is, You know, for example, I do a whole bunch of routine surgeries, inguinal hernias, umbilical hernias. And we habitually uh, give everybody a follow-up visit for two to three weeks. Well, I went to England for my fellowship, second fellowship, and they almost didn't give anybody follow-up visits. The NHS is overwhelmed. The clinics are overwhelmed. They give you a number. They're like, call us if you need us. And you know what? It worked fine. So I came back here to become an attending. I start sort of doing the local thing, which is giving everybody two- and three-week follow-ups. Then I started to realize that for a lot of these parents, they have jobs that mean that if they take the time off work to come in for this visit, they run the risk of being fired because they've taken an extra day off. And is the value of dragging their kid in to see me for eight minutes when I look at the incision and go, "Yep, looks great. Have a nice day. Is that worth the economic concerns to the family? Because people will say, oh, well, you know, the parents, they didn't even bother to follow up. Well, if they're balancing their ability to, I don't know, keep food on the table with coming in for your eight minute follow up, I can understand why the spectrum sort of tilts in favor of keeping the job. And so those sort of realizations really change and color your perspective on your interactions with families. And I I try to be a lot more open and flexible with things to allow people's lives to be appreciated and understood, I guess, if that makes sense, because Mm. it's it's complicated. It's hard, especially with chronically ill children. It's very difficult on these families. And we often come in like, I'm the doctor, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And that's just not where they're at and not where the, we should be at either.
0: Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a pediatric surgeon?
1: Yeah, 100%. I don't know if it's Stockholm Syndrome or what. but I, would totally- <laughs> yeah.
0: I don't think I've had a physician refer to, to medicine and their specialty as Stockholm Syndrome, but I, I think it's appropriate in a lot of ways.
1: Well, you know, like I said, I went to medical school very young, I was 20. I really never had an adult experience to n- have anything to compare it to. So I, I can't picture what else I would be. And I certainly wouldn't want to be any other kind of medicine. Like this is the right place for me. Mm. I, I I really enjoy it. I mean, yes, there's some days where you just want to walk out and be like, never again. Uh, but overall, I have to say, I think it's a really great field.
0: Any last words of wisdom for the student thinking about pediatric surgery?
1: Uh, Don't worry too much about it and keep your eyes open because so many students, I I see this every year, the students are worried before they even start clerkships about what specialty they're going to land up in. And sometimes it means that they put up blinders and don't totally appreciate specialties that they weren't considering. I didn't know that I wanted to be a surgeon. I didn't know that I wanted to be a pediatric surgeon. I didn't know that I wanted to do pediatric urology. And yet here I am. And you want to be able to keep that same open mind to make sure that you wind up in the place that's home for you.
0: All right. There you have it. Again, Dr. Kimberly Lumpkins, pediatric surgeon specializing in urology. Hopefully this was helpful for you. If you want to find out more information about pediatric surgery, You can Google the American Pediatric Surgical Association. They have a pretty long URL, so I won't say that here. Again, that's the American Pediatric Surgical Association. And if you're interested in pediatric urology, spuonline.org. That's S-P-U for Societies of Pediatric Urology, Societies for Pediatric Urology Online, spuonline.org. I hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories.